Welcome to The Breakdown with James Lankford, where Oklahoma Senator James Lankford discusses policy issues in Congress. Thank you for listening today. This is The Breakdown. This is Senator James Langford from Oklahoma, back with another episode of The Breakdown. And The Breakdown is an opportunity to be able to take some of the complicated stories that people pick up on the news, uh, to be able to break it down into its parts, and so you can be the smartest kid at the water cooler at your office. And so this week, we're taking on foreign policy issues, and I'm sitting down uh, with our foreign policy advisor, Adam. You've been on uh, this with us before. Adam Ferris is a native of Edmond, Oklahoma, has been on my team for seven and a half years, which is amazing. Either of us have been here that long. Uh, but he's been on the team seven and a half years, uh, but is transitioning in the next uh, really 72 hours over to the State Department. He's been stolen right. away uh, by the State Department. You'll take on a new role there. So grateful for all these years of service, uh, and I'm sure you're a great catch for the State Department uh, to be able to continue on your work there uh, in foreign policy work, and grateful to be able to have you. Oh, well, th- thanks for having me today. So it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, glad you're glad you're taking this on. There's a lot of foreign policy stuff happening right now, quite frankly, around the world. And that's Just what we're going to talk things. about today. Yeah. Uh, USMCA, that was the trade agreement that replaces NAFTA, just passed the Senate. Uh, that big news. Ag- yeah, that's big news on that. So that stabilizes the trade relationship between Mexico and Canada, updates a lot of those trade issues. Obviously, there's lots going on in Venezuela. We still don't know who the rightful uh, leader is of Venezuela, according to the Venezuelan people. Uh, we recognize Guaido as the leader, who's the Speaker of their House. Uh, they recognize Maduro there, who's this communist long-term leader and friend of the Castros from Cuba and all kinds of problems there. So that's been an ongoing issue for a long time. Uh, Putin just declared that he wants to rewrite the Constitution wow. so he can stay in power for life and uh, put out a video of him doing push-ups and sit-ups and working out and saying, I'm still ready to go and the strongest <laughs> man around, and, and I want to be able to remain in power again. And uh, so we've got all of that that's happening in Russia. North Korea still continues to be able to threaten uh, their nuclear activity. Uh, China is a big issue for us always. Uh, not only their military aggression, their human rights violations, uh, the religious liberty issues, which are many. There was a World Watch report that just came out this week on China and some of the oppression they've done for religious liberty, but also trade issues. A lot right, of American right. companies do trade with China, and uh, that's been a major problem where China just steals their intellectual property, copies all their stuff, and sells it in other parts of the world. And for the first time ever, the Trump administration just started a what they call the Phase 1 trade agreement with China, uh, which has a set of enforcements, small as they may be, has a set of process and deal with intellectual properties, takes a first step, and pushes China to be able to do more purchases than China has literally ever done of American products to try to balance out this trade deficit uh, with China and the United States. So it's something that I think you know administrations for years have tried to do, and we, we finally saw a breakthrough this week. Yeah, so it's pretty significant. So all these things are going on, and Oklahomans are kind of picking up bits and pieces of all these different things that are happening in foreign policy. But kind of shouting on top of all of that is this country called Iran uh, and what's happening with Iran. And it's been an issue for a long time and obviously has reached very loud volume uh, really in October, November, December, and then into January. Because in October, uh, Shia militants uh, backed by what's called the Quds Force, the external Quds Force in Iran, started attacking uh, American facilities in Baghdad. They started launching rockets repetitively in October. Still did in in November. Uh, The administration starts contacting the Iranians and saying, you've got to stop. You're going to kill Americans here. If you kill an American, we will retaliate. They continue to be able to launch rockets into our facility in Baghdad. Then they started attacking supply lines uh, that went from Kuwait 
uh, all the way to Baghdad. And these uh, Shia militants backed by Iran have started one by one attacking all these different spots. We had up to 90 different attacks that happened really in November and December. This past few months. Yeah, just in a couple of months, uh, culminating in one of those rocket attacks actually killing an American in Baghdad and injuring four of our soldiers uh, that were there in that rocket attack. When that occurred, uh, and that's even standing on top of some other things that Iran has done, I'll get to in a minute. When that occurred, the administration said, we told you, you've got to stop. And we've been telling you, telling you, telling you, telling you, you've got to stop. Somebody's going to get hurt or killed, and someone did. So the United States and the Trump administration then took immediately the attack uh, to the munitions depot, the place where this um, Hezbollah in uh, Iraq was storing all their weaponry that was attacking the United States, destroyed the weapons depot there, and then also went after some of the training facilities where Hezbollah in Iraq uh, was actually uh, doing their training and equipping and preparation for the next attack. Some of those were in Syria, some of those were in Iraq, but they were very directly connected. There was somewhat of a deep breath for a moment, uh, and then uh, the um, Shia militants, again, led by Iran, uh, then pushed into our embassy, uh, destroyed the outside of the embassy, started working their way to try to get to the inner circle of the embassy. We're not able to penetrate that. All kinds of fires, all kinds of damage, throwing all kinds of debris over the wall, and it became very clear that Iran's going to continue to be able to escalate uh, as they have been escalating for months and months and months. And then in January, the United States took a surgical strike on two terrorist leaders. The terrorist leader, who is a designated terrorist leader of Hezbollah in Iraq, and also Qasem Soleimani, uh, who is the designated terrorist leader of the group called the Quds Force, uh, that's the external operations uh, for Iran, uh, when both of them were planning and meeting together in this very remote area outside uh, of the airport in Baghdad, where Qasem Soleimani had just flown in, landed, met up with this other terrorist leader, and then they were headed to a meeting. And at that moment, the United States saw that as a moment where they were isolated away from civilians. We knew they were in the process with very exquisite intelligence. They were in the process of planning their next attack against Americans. And the Trump administration took a decision to be able to strike first, which has been the process of the last three presidents. That's right. Since 9-11, uh, the policy of the last three presidents has been, if we know that you're about to attack Americans, we will not wait until we're attacked. We will attack first to be able to protect American lives. President Obama did that. Obviously, President Trump has done that. Obviously, President Bush did that starting after 9-11. And that was the big shift that really occurred. So uh, what I heard on that was a lot of folks saying, who's Qasem Soleimani? Right, right. Who is this guy? What just happened? Unfamiliar a, to a lot of people. Yeah, there's 100,000 people out on the street in Iran and saying, okay, I've never even heard of this guy. I had a neighbor uh, that I was chit-chatting with in the yard uh, who said, hey, I had no idea who this guy was. Uh, when I heard his name and heard that we had done the uh, attack there on this terrorist leader, I'd never heard of that terrorist. And then I started doing my research and found out that's a bad right. guy. Designated terrorist by the Treasury Department. I mean, has a long list of things that we'll, we'll talk about yeah, here in a second. Yeah, walk, walk through some of the history of Qasem Soleimani. Right. So um, joined uh, Iran's Revolutionary Guards in 1979. That was which, the Iranian Revolution. He, yep. Exactly. So he, he joined right at the beginning of that. Um, I think what he is most notorious for, uh, especially among the defense and intelligence communities, is what he did during the 2000s when the United States was in Iraq and uh, the impact that the Quds Force under his command, he, he, he uh, became leader of the Quds Force in 1998, 
Under his command, the Quds Force in Iran began, uh, began developing uh, improvised explosive devices uh, and, and exporting those to their militias in Iraq. And, you know, over the course of, um, you know, a decade or so, starting in 2003, more than 600 American servicemen and women have died in Iraq due to Qassam Soleimani's uh, uh, leadership over the Quds Force. Yeah, everybody kind of remembers that moment in the Iraq War when suddenly we started having a lot of deaths in Iraq where we hadn't had as many in the past. Obviously, it's a war we had lost some remarkable men and women that were there serving the country, but suddenly it became even more deadly in Iraq, and it was it was almost like, what just happened? Well, what happened was Qasem Soleimani and his force, his Quds Force, started importing these Iranian weaponry and Iranian systems to be that were specifically designed to take out American armor. That's right. And, uh, and it suddenly went from a big war to a really bloody, horrible conflict uh, for the United States. Uh, and it dramatically changed the direction of the war. And over 600 Americans died uh, right. because of those particular type of training and equipping that Qasem Soleimani had. Well, then, then what happened from there? Yeah. So, and I would even say, you know, the Quds Force has a much longer history than, than just Soleimani. But whether you go back to their uh, involvement with Hezbollah in Iran in the 80s and, and the barracks uh, bombing there, um, which, which killed hundreds of U.S. servicemen and women um, through the 90s, 2000s, um, and then up to what we were just talking about, the, the most recent activity in Iraq as well, where under his leadership, uh, you know, Iran exporting uh, training, munitions, personnel to Syria uh, to support the Assad regime uh, directly in, in conflict with U.S. interests and U.S. trained forces there in Syria to uh, what's just happened over the past few months with these, you know, uh, over 90 attacks in Iraq, uh, many of which have, have been directed at U.S. service uh, personnel and, and U.S. assets in Iraq. Yeah. So the, the Quds Force led under Soleimani is the main funder for Hezbollah in Lebanon. Uh, has been the main funder and support for um, Bashir Assad in Syria and right. all the death that he has brought, uh, is the main funder of the Shia militias that are in uh, Iraq, that are destabilizing Iraq and, and uh, Hezbollah there in Iraq. Uh, he is the point person to be able to get weaponry into the civil war that's in Yemen that's, right. uh, that's currently fighting. Uh, he has uh, coordinated uh, the attacks on shipping uh, that's happened through that whole Gulf of Oman in the, in the Persian Gulf, and all that has occurred at this point. Uh, we've seen mines on ships. Uh, we've seen our American soldiers a couple of years ago that were taken hostage there. Uh, we've seen drones that were American drones that were shot down in international waters. Uh, and then we had a uh, attack that was a um, cruise missile attack from Iran into a um, Saudi Arabian refinery that took out half the refining capability of Saudi Arabia for a season that was completely unprovoked that Iran just launched missiles uh, at Saudi Arabia to be able to take out the refining capability. There's been this escalation of days of this. Now, the Trump administration has been pretty clear. This Iran nuclear deal that was done several years ago, there were no fans of because the Iran nuclear deal said you can't do nuclear, you can't go nuclear but you can develop missiles that can carry right. a nuclear weapon, uh, and you can continue your acts of terrorism right. uh, research, without sanctions. R and D, all of that continues. Right. So, so there, there was no restrictions. Money. So the Trump administration pushback was, "We're not going to let you keep doing terrorism in the whole region and not put sanctions on you." Because as soon as we put sanctions on them, they would say, "Well, you're breaking the Iran nuclear deal, so you can only do sanctions nuclear related, but we can continue doing this other terrorist activity." 
So the Trump administration said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to try to push back on your terrorist activity. We're going to try to stop your missile development and stop your nuclear development in the days ahead because clearly they're the hostile force in that whole region. Right. And as you mentioned earlier, this is not some nebulous threat. This has resulted in, you know, Iran's and the Quds force involvement because of the funding that they've had over decades um, and increased under the, under the Obama administration because of the Iran deal that, that President Trump pulled out of. This has uh, resulted in, in American lives being lost. So yeah, this a, isn't a nebulous kind of out there threat. This is very real for a lot of families. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty stark change on this. Now, what's interesting is I'll, I'll have some folks say, are we going to war with Iran? Is that where this is headed? Uh, the Trump administration been pretty clear. I've been pretty clear. Almost everybody in Congress that I've talked to, in fact, I don't know of anyone in Congress, uh, of anyone I've talked to or heard of that wants to go with a war with Iran. No one wants a war with Iran. Why, why would we do that? We're trying to pull out of wars in the Middle East and try to get some distance uh, from us. Uh, but the challenge is when you've got an actor that they've been recognized as a state sponsor of terrorism since 1984, and they continue to be a state sponsor of terrorism to be able to destabilize the entire region and their funding of terrorism around the world, including in our hemisphere and some of the funding that they've done here. What do you do? Do you ignore that and hope that it goes away? Uh, do you lean in and try to say, let's try to find some way to stop it? Can you get to a diplomatic solution and try to see if we can figure out how to be able to solve this diplomatically? Well, there's, there's several tracks that are here. One is uh, there's a sense in the Trump administration I do agree with there's got to be deterrence because Iran's been attacking, 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 attacking. Again, that's this 90 different attacks in just in the last couple of months on American troops, on American forces, on American bases. And then Soleimani uh, was definitely in the process of planning his next attack, and it was a larger scale attack that he was in the process of planning the next time to take more American lives. So the challenge is, what do you do to be able yeah. to stop this? Ultimately, all of us want a diplomatic solution. And what's interesting is, so do the people of Iran. Uh, if we go backwards just a little bit, in 2009, there was something called the Green Movement. Some people called it the Green Revolution. Uh, but the Green Movement uh, was uh, something that was organically bubbling up within the Iranian people uh, that they were trying to just push back and say, we want the ability to be able to direct our own lives. Uh, the oppressive regime that is currently running Iran, that has run Iran since 1979, uh, continues to oppress women, continues to oppress uh, economic activity. Their terrorist activities have led to sanctions from all kinds of different parts, so their economic uh, growth is limited. Uh, the Iranian people are smart, well-educated, creative uh, people, business people. I mean, it, it's a great community with a lot of great yeah, people. It has a lot of ties to the U.S. with some of our Iranian-American neighbors as well. Oh, yeah. It, it's yeah. A, it, there, this is not an issue with Iranians. Right. The issue is with the regime that's oppressing Iranians that even the Iranians were pushing back on. Uh, but the problem became what happened during that green movement and what, what did we see occur during that time period? Right. And so, as you mentioned, a pushback on uh, the regime. And, and we'll go back to the terrorist activities the Iranian people know, just as we do, that uh, you know their own government is prioritizing terrorist activities overseas, which, is, again, as we talked about, is is led by the Quds Force, uh, who, who uh, Soleimani was leading at the time, um, and and that's an issue when your government, just like we have, you know, political debate here about do we prioritize things overseas or at home, uh, you know, the Iranian government, uh, the regime, the Ayatollah. For decades, since 1979, has been focusing on on putting out money towards supporting terrorists in Iraq and killing Americans in Iraq, towards supporting Hezbollah in Lebanon, 
uh, propping up the Bashar uh, al-Assad regime in Syria, where he's gas- chemically gassing his own people. All of that is supported by Iranian uh, government funding, which the Iranian people themselves do not agree with. And so that was a pushback in 2009, uh, where over 100 protesters and Iranian citizens were killed. And uh, I think we're seeing a, a similar reaction today with uh, the protests that have risen up over the past uh, few weeks as well. And, and then, you know, similarly, you know, unfortunately, 82 Iranians, uh, as well as other nationalities, died on that plane that was shot down by Iran's right. own military. Right. So you've got you've got during the Green Green Movement, you have 100 people that died on the streets just protesting against their own government as the regime came in and just squashed them. Uh, in the days following uh, our strike on Soleimani, there were hundreds of thousands of Iranians on the street. Many of those were people that were supportive and nationalistic and passionate about their country sure. and were upset about the death. Some of those were workers that were informed by the Iranian government, hey, you work for the Iranian government, you need to get to the street. So it's a mix of those. But within days after that, the protests were back out on the street in Iran, people literally risking their own lives to be able to speak out against a corrupt regime uh, in Iran to say, stop. You know, they, they were initially protesting against the Iranian government shooting down uh, the Ukrainian airline right. uh, and the loss of a lot of Iranian lives and a lot of students and a lot of especially Canadian citizens and others. Uh, so there was an initial protest on that. And in fact, they had been lied to again during that time period. But that's continued even to today. So th- when you talk about the Iranian regime and what's going on in Iran uh, and a desire for war, we don't have a desire for war. No one's interested in that. The Iranian people just want basic freedom. Uh, we stand for people of, uh, that want freedom all over the world, uh, but we're not trying to step in and try to impose that, uh, nor to try to create regime change. That is up to the Iranian people to be able to determine right. their own future and our respect for them and their sovereignty. Yep. And Senator, I, I would plug as well that you know when we're talking about supporting the Iranian people, supporting their rights, their human rights, you've actually been um, you know one of the leaders in Congress on uh, helping the U.S. support. Iranian freedoms and human rights, freedom of speech, freedom to communicate with each other, freedom to access the outside world. You actually, you wrote a letter uh, just this past November uh, to the Trump administration expressing support for uh, continued uh, U.S. uh, support for Iran's, uh, Iranian citizens' ability to communicate with themselves, uh, access the outside world through the internet, because as you're well aware of, Iran has been shutting down their internet off and on uh, for years so that their people can't communicate with each other and talk and organize and protest and just form democratic movements. Can can you imagine what would happen in the United States if somebody just got upset in the American government and said, you know what, I I don't want you to talk about this anymore. I'll just shut down the internet in the entire country (laughs) until everybody gets quieter. But that's that's normal in Iran, uh, that if they decide we don't want protesters in the street anymore, they just shut down the internet in the entire country or they'll block bits and pieces depending on different cities and states and such that they want to be able to isolate. Uh, but it, it's a remarkable regime of trying to oppress their own people and suppress any kind of opposition to them. So let me go back again, because there is some conversation on uh, are we going to war with Iran? Uh, and there's some debate in Congress. And you'll hear some people talk about war powers and the war powers resolution. And can President Trump just go take a strike on a terrorist leader uh, that's there 
and then just arbitrarily, quote-unquote, is what some people say, take the strike, or that he was taking a strike on an Iranian leader, but it wasn't his... The Iranian leader was planning an attack. They agreed to that, and he's a bad guy. They agreed to that, but say it wasn't imminent enough uh, to be able to agree to that. And it starts getting into this very odd argument about what happens with presidential power. Every president... Uh, was President Obama, or President Bush, President Trump, President Clinton, whoever it may be. Uh, all, I've yet to meet any of them that all want to go to war. Uh, they understand the cost of that because they're the ones that are actually going out and meeting with families at Dover. They understand extremely well what that means. Uh, but when we talk about going to war or defending the United States, every president also has the obligation to defend American lives. That's right. That's his article to power and responsibility. Right. So that's straight from the Constitution that he has a responsibility to be able to, as an executive branch, execute the law faithfully and to protect the American people in that sense. So every president has the responsibility when they hear that there's an attack coming to try to protect. But if we're going to go to war or if we're going to have ongoing hostilities, whether that be with a nation state like with Iran or whether that be with uh, a group like al-Qaeda that's worldwide, uh, if you're going to have any kind of hostilities on that that's be ongoing, that has to come to Congress. Right. Constitutionally, that debate actually has to happen among the American people, and it happens in Congress through, uh, for the American people to be able to have that debate to say, is this something that we should invest our blood and treasure in that's important to the American people to be able to engage with that? We saw that in World War One, World War Two, where there's a declaration of war. The wars since then, uh, we've seen... Um, times in the Korean War or in Vietnam, right? a very different. There wasn't a declaration of war at that time period. And at the end of Vietnam, there was something passed by Congress called the War Powers Resolution that kind of set the parameters. And we're trying to put some walls around an administration in the future to say you just can't run, start a conflict right. somewhere that's going to be ongoing without coming back to Congress to be able to do that. Well, since then, Congress has passed something called the Authorization of the Use of Military Force, or what's called often an AUMF, an Authorization for the Use of Military Force. That's what we saw when we went into Iraq. Uh, that's what we saw when we were fighting against the Taliban uh, and against al-Qaeda. Uh, we saw those specific AUMF, those Authorization for the Use of Military Force. That's not a declaration of war, but just Congress debated it, talked about it, said this is what we think put in an authorization, said you can continue to be able to have that kind of conflict. There are some that are saying now to the president, we want to block you from doing anything with Iran. No kind of conflict, no kind of action. We want to block you from everything from Iran, and we're going to pass a resolution that limits you from doing anything from Iran. The problem with that is the president still has a responsibility to protect the American people. I don't hear from President Trump in the times that I've talked to him, been around him, been around the leadership, Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, all those folks, they understand full well the cost of war. They're not trying to run to war. They're trying to avoid it long term. Uh, but what they're also trying to do is to be able to make sure, say, we need to protect American lives in the process, and we need to sit down with the Iranians to be able to do it. In fact, I'm proud of the State Department. They've already made public declarations saying we have no preconditions to be able to sit down with the Iranians. If they want to sit down and talk at any point, at any place, on any set of subjects, we're ready to sit down and talk to be able to separate our differences. Because the good people that are the Iranian people, they don't deserve or need a war based on what some of their leadership is doing around the world and around the region. That's not their fault. But we've got to be able to stop consistent acts of terrorism all over the region and consistent bullying all over the region and a consistent threat to allies like Israel and clearly to the United States uh, to be able to help us to provide some level of stability to that region and to our own people long term. So there'll be a debate in the days ahead on a war powers resolution to limit any access to Iran. I would say the president already has a restriction already right now based from the 1970s saying a president can't go to war without coming to Congress. 
And anytime there's a military action, the Congress needs to be notified within 48 hours, which is what President Trump did when the strike on Soleimani occurred. There was a notification within 48 hours, and he did follow through on that, given legal justifications. Right. But but as you've mentioned, you know, going to war, sending thousands of U.S. you know men and women overseas in a conflict is, is different than, you know, when we have a, a single terrorist planning and plotting to attack Americans. Um, you know, that's different, and the president has a responsibility to respond. Yeah. Difficult decisions for any president. Absolutely. I, I served with President Obama for a short period of time when he was president and I was in the Congress. I watched him struggle with some of these decisions. I watched President Trump struggle with some of these decisions. These are difficult things that every president has to be able to confront. Uh, and those decisions require uh, the best possible intelligence, the best possible information. Uh, and the decision has to be made at the time that it has to be made. Because if you wait and delay, the moment passes. Uh, and the challenge for the administration was when Soleimani, as a terror leader, was with a terror leader uh, from Iraq, and they were together. They were in an isolated place. They were separate from all civilians uh, in a vehicle at 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, it was a unique moment to be able to take the strike. Uh, if he had headed back to Iran, which was in all likelihood his next destination uh, after that short time in Iraq, uh, then that strike couldn't have happened that same way. And we may very well be talking about Americans' lives that were lost. And then when it came out later that there was intelligence saying that they were planning an attack, then all the Americans uh, around the country would be saying, why didn't President Trump act right. when he could have right. defended Americans? He hesitated instead. So these are difficult decisions for any president because either way that he goes, he's going to get cri criticism. The president's got to be able to make that call and has the constitutional authority to do it. But if we go any farther than that, it's got to come back through Congress to be able to make that decision because the American people need to be able to have that debate. I hope this is helpful, just talking about Iran a little bit. Um, if you've got Iranian neighbors and friends that are around us, we've got Iranian friends in Oklahoma. Uh, they're, they're all over the country. Uh, many folks that fled uh, in 1979 and leading up to that time of the Iranian Revolution uh, that are still our friends and neighbors all around us. And for the good people of Iran uh, that are struggling under that regime, we continue to be able to pray for them, encourage those folks in any way that we possibly can, and look forward to having a normal relationship with the Iranian people as we do with many, many other countries all around the world uh, in the days ahead. And I hope for that kind of transition in Iran to be able to see that. Adam, thanks for your years of service here in the Congress. Of course. Uh, thanks for a, having me for so long. Uh, you've been a great ambassador for Oklahoma uh, to be able to be here, to be able to talk about foreign policy all around the world, to be able to dig in on these issues. And uh, you'll be a great asset to the State Department in the days ahead and, and appreciate your service there and look forward to being able to stay in contact. Thank you, Senator. Y'all, if y'all want to be able to continue to track us, you can always do that uh, on our website at langford.senate.gov. Langford.senate.gov has got all of our contact information on it. If uh, you want to subscribe uh, to The Breakdown, you can do that on Spotify, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud. You can stay up to date on our social media at Senator Langford on all the social media platforms. Uh, but we encourage you to stay in contact. There's obviously a lot more going on right now uh, besides just foreign policy. Uh, there's an impeachment hearing that's going on right now as well. Uh, if you want more information about that impeachment and the process of what happens behind the scenes, our last podcast that we did uh, was all about the impeachment process where we walked through incredible detail of each step of impeachment, what happens behind the scenes and what things look like. So if you want to be the smartest kid at the water cooler about the impeachment process uh, and what happens behind the scenes, listen to our last podcast uh, on the, uh, the breakdown uh, and uh, hear all about the impeachment process as well. With that, we look forward to getting a chance to be able to keep up in the days ahead. God bless you.